0: Go with D. I feel like Halo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a 3 P. don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let like my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones of a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you side. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is the Going Deep Podcast, and it is no longer Super Wildcard Weekend. It is the divisional round in the NFL where teams are trying to continue their journey to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. And what an elite eight we have. Some elite quarterbacks, no doubt. And I love the quarterback storylines we got. We got... Two first year starters coming off of literally perfect games, like perfect passer ratings in their first games. We have two former number one overall picks who are actually playing each other, but playing for different teams that picked them number one and rehabbing their careers in different cities. We've got two MVP caliber players in Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, all world elite talents, but haven't been able to get over the hump and forget about winning a Super Bowl haven't been able to get to one and now they are one and two seeds in the AFC you've got Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy and if he has a healthy ligament in his elbow maybe he takes that stacked diners team to the Super Bowl and then of course you've got the guy who's not really playing against his competition right now he's playing against history that's Patrick Mahomes because he is the baby goat for me he is chasing Brady He's not chasing the other quarterbacks he's playing with. He has the conch. He is in his own tier, so much so that this is wild. In terms of stats, Patrick Mahomes already has more playoff victories than Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, who if he called up Pat McAfee today and said he's retiring, he would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Patrick Mahomes has more playoff victories than him already. He's quickly climbing the ranks in terms of playoff performances, playoff wins. No matter the metric, he's there. He won his 12th career playoff start last week, Tom Brady for the most in his first seven seasons. Hey, guess what? He's been a starter for only six seasons. This guy is 28 years old and already has... Eighth most playoff wins by a quarterback in league history. If he's able to continue to win and climb the ladder, for example, a win this week against the Buffalo Bills, he would then tie Brett Favre and big Ben Roethlisberger for sixth. But those Buffalo Bills stand in the way. And I, the other narrative I love right now is because it's not just franchises or QBs that are in the postseason it's cities. It's fan bases. And two fan bases in cities that really, really are desperate for some success are the Detroit Lions and the Buffalo Bills. Very different ways, but hardworking, tough fan bases in cities who have football teams that reflect them. Will they reflect them and meet up in the Super Bowl or at least advance and are able to play One more week. That's what I'm here to find out. That's what we're going to go deep on. So we're going to talk to two hardworking journalists in those very markets. First up, why don't we talk about the Lions? So many people in the Windsor, Chatham area love them. Some Detroit Lions. And no matter where you live in Canada, how do you not love the lovable Lions and Dan Campbell? Well, we're going to talk to Lions beat writer Justin Rogers about what it's like in Detroit, Michigan, and could the Lions get on a run that has the whole world talking about it? Detroit football talk. I'm going to So, Justin, it's an exciting time to be a Lions fan, arguably the most exciting time in the last three decades. There are many Canadians, you know, on the border, uh, you know, Detroit-Windsor area that are excited for this time of year for the Lions, what's the vibe for those who aren't in the vicinity? Um, what's the vibe like uh, in and around uh, at Detroit and Michigan with the way the Lions are playing right now?
1: Yeah, look, it's it's electric. And, you know, I can go back to, to earlier in the season where I was out to dinner with a friend and, um, you know, it was just looking around and, and started noticing more and more, Lions gear, you know, on terms of just people wearing it in everyday life, and that is a little unusual around these parts. You know, the Red Wings or the Detroit Tigers, Old English D, very, very common in these parts. But you know, fans have been slow to, to, I guess, adjust to the successes teams have, and not that they haven't always had support, full stadiums, but in terms of showing that out publicly, uh, it's been, it's been unusual, I would say, to an unusual degree this, this season, and so. You know, as the the successes continue, and as they've been able to knock out some of these uh, infamous streaks of no division title for 32 years, no playoff win for 32 years, it's um, you know it's only picked up steam. And and really, if you just you look at the reaction to the crowd, not just from the players or from the people that are there regularly, but to the outsiders, to the Peter Kings of the world, saying it was one of the five most electric atmospheres he's ever experienced covering NFL in 40 years, really captures, I guess, the the sentiment of you know, how hungry this fan base is. Because look at, in in the United States, NFL is king. And this this fan base has been waiting so long to have something to cheer for.
0: Yeah, and it gives them a reason to not think about the Detroit Pistons, uh, which is uh, ideal. I I mean, it's a banner of time in football in general, obviously with the run that Michigan was on. But is there, you know, a crossover in terms of the football fan base or are they distinct and separate?
1: No, there's a crossover, and and look, we have two very prominent national programs in Michigan and Michigan State, and there is a, a clear divide among that group, uh, both in the basketball and football realms, where you know both schools have, have had a lot of success in the last two decades plus. Uh, but you know, I would say that a, a large chunk of of Michigan fans, given the university's uh, location to Metro Detroit, is a little bit closer. I think there's a, a pretty large overlap between those two those two markets.
0: Talking about, uh, you know, the team on the field, uh, you know, it, it, there are so many great characters on this team, and you know, if there was a Disney-like movie or a Netflix-like documentary, uh, there would be so many central characters, many on the field, but I want to start in the front office with Brad Holmes and everything that he's had to do to get this position, but the real intentional way that he's built the franchise and the roster in terms of character and grit. Um, What sticks out to you about his ascension and what that's meant for the football team and the reflection of it um, relative to the city that it's in?
1: Yeah, look, the hire was was smart because the best way to orchestrate a rebuild and to sustain long-term success in the NFL is to do so through the draft. I think we've seen it time and time again. Yeah, you can plug holes and, and find short-term success through you know, a spending spree in free agency, but if you really want sustainable success for decades to, to follow the, the Patriots or the Steelers or the Packers, those, those organizations seem to find a way year after year after year to get there or their lulls are, are very short, you have to do it with, with good drafting. And so to go out and get... A guy who is a draft expert, a guy that was the director of college scouting for a quality franchise for a decade, who had plenty of hits at all levels of that draft uh, over the years, and to to bring that in as the, the the central building point of your franchise. And if you look at this Lions roster from the time Holmes got here, you know there's there's ten or so guys that are still holdovers, you know some guys that that he's resigned that that fit the the grit attitude, if you will, of, of what he envisioned. But so much of this roster was built through the draft and, you know, really big time hits guys like Panay Sewell and Amon Ross St. Brown guys that are now in the, the pro bowl and all pro conversations. Um, but, but dipping down even to the the middle and late rounds, he's finding these guys that are making up his rosters, not just the starters, but the depth, and that's where this this Lions team is so different than you know some of the past. You know, great players have rolled through this town. We all know it: Alvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, two of the greatest of all time at their position, if not the greatest. But it's the the lack of one through player fifty three depth that the Lions have lacked, and this roster exhibits that better than any. And it's it's really a credit to to Brad Holmes and, and his staff with what they've done uh, through the draft, and you know now moving into this third season, they've they've moved into that free agency realm of, of selectively plucking pieces with the dollars they have to, to fill those remaining holes guys like David Montgomery and Cam Sutton to to really round out this roster with the veteran voices they need
0: well another veteran that they brought in young veteran I suppose uh, would be Jared Goff in terms of acquiring him you know in exchange for you know, Matt Stafford it, he would be another central figure of, of, of that story, and now he was a former first overall pick going up against another first overall pick, you know, who's rehabbing his career. How much of what Goff has done can solidify him having, you know, a long future uh, in Detroit? Has Has he done enough? At this point, Dan Campbell says, you know, uh, post game how he feels about him to the team in the locker room but do you see him being the starter here for a while
1: yeah I think let's let's go back to when the trade was was made for Matthew Stafford and the Lions got back not just Jared Goff but two first round picks and a third round pick which if it was only the draft equity coming back I still I still think you look at it and go that was a pretty good deal for a quarterback that was aging who had some back issues the previous two years, you get Jared Goff on top of it and you think, okay, well, you know, the Rams needed to trade him, and, you know, there needed to be some kind of salary equability in this, this deal to, to make it work. And so uh, your initial thought is, well, maybe, maybe it's just straight a salary move. Maybe Goff is a, a bridge to their, whoever the real heir apparent is to Matthew Stafford when they get, to that side of the rebuild and through one year, you know, I think you still kind of were in that mindset, you know, golf um, had a very brutal 2021 and I will say this of no real fault of his own. I mean, the lions put very little around him as they stripped that roster to its studs and he just didn't have any weapons to operate with, but you move into that second season and, and this year being the third and you pair him with Ben Johnson, you know, a, a first year coordinator at the time who's, you know clearly got a brilliant mind for the game you you give Goff some some more weapons beyond the the quality offensive line that he kind of started with in terms of pass catchers and 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 running backs and you see a return of Goff to that level that he was playing at in 2017 and 2018 when he was leading the Rams to division titles leading them to a Super Bowl you know the the numbers in terms of yards and completion percentage and touchdowns and um they're they're all in that that sphere, and so, you know, he is I think comfortably in that conversation as a a top ten quarterback. You know, is he, you know, ever going to be a, a an elite guy in the Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow classification? No, probably not. But you know, I think Goff has proven early in his career and proven what he's doing now in terms of what has not been accomplished by any Lions quarterback in, you know, 30-plus years, that he is a good enough player to win with, and that includes winning a potential Super Bowl. So, yeah, as his contract comes up here in another year after this one, I fully, fully expect the Lions to uh, get an extension done and to get that extension done probably this offseason. And so, you know, I I still kind of have to – sit down and start, you know, kind of really looking at those numbers and how they compare and contrast to some other guys that got extensions in the recent years. But, um, you know, it, you're probably looking at a three- to five-year deal depending on what he and his agent are looking for in terms of long-term security and, you know, probably in that, that range of, of forty five to potentially even up to $50 million a year.
0: On the field, the only thing that's really given him trouble historically has been pressure. Not a great recipe when a Todd Bowles' defense comes to town when you look on the field at the matchup with the Bucks and the Lions offense led by Goff, what comes to mind?
1: Well, you know, the, the good thing about, I, I, first of all, I think most quarterbacks you would find struggle under pressure, right? Yes. Uh, that That's probably a little bit more true with a quarterback of Goff's skill set. Uh, you're not alone in this, but the, the mobility factor with him You know, adds to those struggles because he just can't bail and run. It's just not his uh, primary skill set. So he's a he's a guy that needs to operate more from a clean pocket than some other guys. But that's where the Lions are strong. They have one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines of football. It's led by a great interior of veterans, including Pro Bowl center Frank Ragnow, who's going to be in charge of identifying those blitzes and has done you know a phenomenal job at that for years. Got maybe the best tandem golf that is has maybe the best tackle tandem in football and Panay Sewell and all pro and the perennially underrated Taylor Decker so you know it really starts there for the Lions you know the the pass game is is something I'm not particularly worried about you know I think they find a way and they proved that in Week Six when they faced the Bucks and and literally had none of their uh, run game that they normally would have. Jameer Gibbs was out for that contest. Dave Montgomery suffered a rib injury at the end of the first quarter and missed the final three quarters of the game. What does Goff do? He steps in, he throws for a season high 353 yards. He protects the football. He leads them to a 20-6 to six win. The pass game, I don't think, is the concern. It is, and the Lions find success on the ground. They've built this team to be balanced. Uh, They've built this team to run out the clock when they need to. They've built this team to, you know, just straight, run the ball for an entire drive to get get everything else back on track. But This Bucks team is stout against the run. Uh, they always are under bowls, but, you know, when you have a defensive tackle like Vita Vey in the middle there that that dictates where you can and you cannot run the ball, uh, it, it becomes a big challenge. The Lions have run the ball better than they have at any point since Barry Sanders retired this season. Both those running backs are, are really good, and they complement each other very well. They're in a little tiny bit of a rut here. the last couple weeks and I think that their ability to get out of that rut to get back to doing what they've done all season long and to uh, take the bucks out of what they've done defensively is is going to be one of the key facets of of whether the Lions can win this game and win this game comfortably
0: what will help would be Ben Johnson and the amount of uh, pre-snap motion he uses to give his QBs tells on what the defense is doing to me Outside of Dan Campbell, who gets a lot of attention, the coordinators have been stars on this team. Ben Johnson on the offensive side, Aaron Glenn on the defensive side, which is why both are coveted at this time of year for potential head coaching vacancies. And I always find this dance somewhat delicate. A you know, great thing on your resume would be advancing in the playoffs, but you're also preparing to pitch yourself to lead another organization. How do you manage uh, that time and distraction? What do you expect in terms of... These individual coveted coordinators and their ability to potentially um, be elsewhere and not part of uh, the Lions' future.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's almost a lock that Ben Johnson goes somewhere. Um, you know, the the tea leaves right now point to to Washington, and I think uh, you know of the available jobs that one is extremely appealing with the number two pick and the most cap space of any team in the NFL. You know, that that sets you up quickly to to get the franchise moving in the right direction while getting in the all important quarterback position that you you know you would have your your pick of the litter almost of prospects. And so um you know if he has that opportunity, I think it's a really good one for him. But I look at, you know, last year a lot of people thought Johnson would get the job, but the reality of that situation was he went and climbed the organizational chart so quickly, going from position coach to coordinator to head coaching candidate that he really never had time to Prepare himself for the possibility you can go into those interviews and and not be prepared and, and take yourself out of candidacy really quickly by just not having The the knowledge or the answer you don't know what you don't know until you experience it So, you know, Johnson went through that last year. I don't think it was a particularly great interview cycle from him from from things I heard But now he's prepared now. There are more openings now. He has another year of seasoning under his belt and a year to really spend thinking about how to you know, best set himself up for the job. So I, I, I truly believe that, that he's all but gone unless for whatever reason he just decides he doesn't want to go that path. I have a tough time seeing that now, but, you know, weirder things have happened. In terms of Glenn, I think it's more 50-50, 40-60. 50, um, you know, some of those jobs that are, are open are – there's some big names out there, right? It's Bill Pelichek, there's Jim Harbaugh. Like, they're they're going to get claimed up, and so it's going to boil down to two or three jobs remaining – Glenn has also gone through that cycle a few times. He's got a, some things that are absolutely working in his favor. The NFL PA survey that just came out, 1,600 players. Glenn was, was ranked by players as the coordinator they most respected and enjoyed playing for. His organizational skills are phenomenal. Um, but in terms of just sheer results on the field with the Lions defense, he was handed the keys to a very, very young, young unit. Uh, the, their growth, their development, their production has been slower to come than what Johnson has seen, and so you know there's there's ultimately this this marketing factor teams are considering when hiring a coach, and you have to uh, energize your your fan base with your decision. And um, Glenn might be a little harder of a sell right now in that regard because fans can just point to his statistics and go, "Well, the Detroit Lions ranks 20th in scoring defense. Like, what are we what are we really seeing this guy?" Um, so maybe they'll take another year for Aaron Glenn, you know, one where he can produce a top ten defense as his his young stars develop, and you know uh, hopefully for him gets gets some better pieces in the secondary that's that's really held back Detroit, I think, from taking that that next step.
0: Well, a good cover letter for that resume would be a great performance in the divisional round. Uh, Lions fans aren't looking to the future. They're looking at the game uh, this weekend. We know uh, that you'll be covering it, and uh, the weather in Detroit is similar to the weather in most of Canada. So, uh, selfishly for you, I'm hoping that you can get to Las Vegas in a couple weeks uh, and enjoy a a good run. But thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much to Justin Rogers, Lions beat reporter for the Detroit News. You can follow him. On Twitter, at Justin underscore Rogers is the handle. Let's reset, take a break, and reconvene with the conversation for the lovable loser that maybe has enough strength to punch their ticket back to the Super Bowl in the AFC after we had that conversation about that team in the NFC. Obviously, in the AFC, that would be the Buffalo Bills, one of Canada's favorite teams. They could be world champs. We're gonna talk bills after the break.
2: My name is Lucille Bryan.
0: I'm Clifton Bryan.
2: My grandson has a
0: show. And I'm so happy that you're listening to Go and Eat with Donovan Bennett. Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you. So, like in many areas in Canada right now, in Buffalo, there is a lot of snow and it is very cold, but that is not going to stop. The football game that is going down on Sunday. Unlike last week, looks like this game won't be postponed because of that cold and snow. Someone who's covered all of the ups and downs, whether it's weather or the actual play on the field of the Buffalo Bills, is Nate Gary. Host for WGR 550 in Buffalo is giving you your pregame, halftime, and postgame show news. And there's been some news coming out of Buffalo surrounding this team all year, all week, frankly, in terms of who is not isn't healthy. We're going to go into the health of the roster and the health of their ability to keep this thing moving to another Super Bowl appearance for the Buffalo Bills. Let's go deep on Bills Mafia with Nate Geer. So, Nate, besides the constant updates of lakefront snow effect and everyone <laughs> becoming at-home meteorologist what is the vibe the emotion the feeling in western new york in buffalo about uh, the stakes of this upcoming game and the opportunity to to finally host the chiefs
3: yeah well listen as a as a big golfer here in western new york i'm basically a part-time meteorologist so <laughs> i I've, I've had this uh, this weather system on lock but um yeah let me tell you i mean the i, I was just saying to the producer like the vibe uh, in the city is like Everyone's very excited, right? Um, but I also think there's this just general level of nervousness and um, and concern because, you know, Sunday 630 rolls around and there's no going back, right? Um, it's go time. And um, it's been a long 10 days here in Western New York, the weather and, you know, trips getting canceled and school and work and working from home and all of your, you know, kind of normal routines have been Um, have been all jumbled and it's kind of been that way really since the start of the year. And I think here in Buffalo, um, you you sort of expect that in the winter time, but uh, you know, everything that sort of happened last week with the lead up to that Steelers game, the postponement moving it to Monday night, and then the bills getting out there and handling business and kind of looking like the team we we've, I mean, think been thinking they could be all year was I think uh, a nice way to start the playoff run. But yeah, I mean, listen, uh, getting Patrick Mahomes here, getting the Chiefs here. Um, I said this on Chiefs radio the other day Is uh, I think the ironic part about this is had Kadarius not, Tony not been off sides, now Josh Allen would have had a minute 40 or whatever to go down and, and t- retake the lead. But um, if Kadarius Tony stays on sides and doesn't line up wrong, it's very possible that the Chiefs end the Bill season in Week 14. Like that was their opportunity to step on the Bill's throat, uh, finish them, and maybe they're the two seed. Maybe they're the you know uh, the two or three seed in this. And instead of um, having to travel on the road, they're they're right back at Arrowhead for a divisional round game. So there is a little bit of irony there that if the Chiefs end up losing they kind of have nobody to to blame but themselves because they had an opportunity to end the bill season and they didn't. So um, listen, it's exciting. Um, I know people here in, in Buffalo bills, mafia uh, are very excited to, to, to get loud and uh, get rowdy in the stands, but um, there are just so many good storylines to this Donovan, whether it's the coaching matchup. This is the first playoff game that Sean McDermott's going to be the defensive coordinator for against Andy Reid. So it's truly defensive head coach versus offensive head coach. It's Allen versus Mahomes, two point oh, three 2.0, 3.0, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. There's just, there are boundless amounts of, um, you know, storylines to this game. And, and I think people are just kind of chapping at the bit to get going.
0: Well, let's get into them. And I, I think chiefs, fans and Chiefs teammates could blame Kadarius Toney if they were looking for someone to blame in terms of um, how things happened. Although I would say that Josh Allen still would have time and the ball, so who knows how that game would have ended. But I think this game will end up potentially with who has the ball last. And I think when we saw them play in an epic game in the playoffs a couple of years ago, um, you know, uh, uh, some seconds that Bills fans don't want to relive at the end, that was because of the offenses. I think this time, quite frankly, it could be because of the defenses. You mentioned that matchup between McDermott and Andy Reid, two people who know each other quite well, you know, from a personal and professional aspect and have history what do you expect uh, in terms of what we might see you know schematically as they're uh, battling each other
3: yeah the bills about 20 minutes ago sean mcdermott uh went on our station wgr 550 in buffalo uh and had four guys listed as out gabriel davis on the offensive side. Uh, uh, Christian Benford, one of the Bills' starting corners, also out, Taylor Rapp, um, kind of their dime player, also will be out in this game. But what he didn't do was come out and say, you know, uh, Rasul Douglas or Terrell Bernard or Taron Johnson, who frankly I think are too – hugely important chess pieces for what sean mcdermott wants to be able to do um against this chief's offense so if those guys can play that's a huge thing frankly taron johnson is i think the most important player on the bills defense i think he's the best he's a all pro this year he's the best slot corner in football Um, he acts as a third linebacker and acts as one of the best slot cover corners in the league he's very versatile so having him will Will be a huge chess piece to the advantage of the bills so um yeah i think that this is a chief's offense that is averaging a full touchdown less per game this season than last year a full seven points down uh, per game just over 21 points a game down from 28 last year um, this is a chief's offense that has struggled all season um, the bills have been in and out of struggles offensively right they fired their offensive coordinator after monday night uh, at home against denver and you know they've turned in one of the more run heavy teams i think the most interesting part about this uh, this matchup and where these teams are offensively, both teams, obviously 11 and six on them, but like both of these teams, their identify, their identity has almost been more run first. Um, the bills have been one of the, uh, the most run happiest teams in the league since the, the change in offensive coordinator, obviously the, 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 the development and explosion of James cook as, Um, You know, a top five rusher in the league, um, I think has finally added the balance needed in this offense to take some of the pressure off of Josh Allen, um, which I think has been huge. And I think on the other side, Isaiah Pacheco, who did not play in the first matchup in week 14 against the Bills, um, he will be playing and he is just as important to that Chiefs offense as James Cook is. So um, I, I think it's funny that both of these offenses have Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Um, and they've they've slowly moved into more of a methodical ball control run heavy style offense. Don't try to turn the ball over. Um, but I think in this game, yes, um, I think whoever has the best running attack in this game will likely win. And I think that's because whoever's going to be able to run most effectively is going to be the team that gets up in this game. Um, I think both of these teams are good front runners. They can play well from ahead. Um, I think, it, but I think if one team gets behind, the Bills are probably in the best position in the most familiar position from playing from behind and being able to win um, down a score or two so um, yeah there's 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 a lot that you could sort of dive into in terms of scheme but I think at the end of the day it's going to be you know can the bills slow down the the run game of of the Chiefs can they hem Patrick Mahomes inside the pocket not let him extend plays outside the pocket that's really where he hurts you the same can be said about Josh Allen and Um, You know, can the Bills get to Patrick Mahomes? They got to him five times in their first matchup in week 14. Um, These are the number two and the number five uh, in sacks this year. The Chiefs are number two in the NFL in sacks this year. The Bills are number five. So uh, both teams can get after the quarterback, and I expect it to be a a, a sort of a big turning point in this game for sure. You
0: know, much was made last week in terms of having the game postponed. Does that benefit the Bills, or does it benefit Steelers, because the Steelers were at home and able to get an extra day of treatment and go to the facility where many of the Bills theoretically shouldn't have been on the road and and doing things, which is why the game was postponed. I I wasn't sure who had a tangible benefit there. I was sure that it was Advantage Chiefs once they advanced because you, you got built in 48 extra hours, give or take, of rest and potential Preparation. The biggest question, you know, since the first third of the season until now for the Bills was just an inventory of who is going to be available to play both, you know, from starters and and backups. So where are we now offensively, defensively? What do we know in terms of um, practice participants and what we might be able to expect on Sunday night? Um,
3: so, uh, so Gabriel Davis, he was listed as out, so the Bills won't be with, they'll, they'll be without their number two wide receiver. Um, but Khalil Shakir has stepped in very, very well for this team. Frankly, even if Gabriel Davis is in, you know, I'm not sure that even cuts into the snap count for Gabriel Davis. And, and obviously, the, the emergence of their two tight ends, especially last week, I mean, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, probably should have had two touchdowns in that game. He led the team in receiving yards and, Dal- uh, and uh, Dawson Knox had the first touchdown. So um, th- they're, they'll be able to replace uh, the production from Gabriel Davis. And frankly, they'll miss him most in the run-blocking game. G- Davis is one of the best run-blocking wide receivers in the NFL, but it's the defensive side of the ball. That's really where they've struggled all year, right? No, Matt Milano, obviously he's not coming back anytime soon. They don't expect him to, to make a return this season off of IR after breaking his leg in week five in, in London. Um, but the the big injuries to me are Taron Johnson. And, and it looks like he's coming off a concussion. He's back in concussion protocol. The short week certainly complicates that a little bit. Um, I would be surprised if Taron Johnson does not play. Same can be said for Rasul Douglas who got a knee injury in the week 18 game in Miami. Um, Christian Benford, he was listed as out. He's the Bill's other starting corner. Um, Dane Jackson will slot in for the Bills. You don't really miss a beat. Um, I think the Bills have one of the deepest cornerback rooms in the league. They lost their top three corners uh, going into that Pittsburgh game. They had uh, Dane Jackson and uh, Kyer Elam who only played in one game all season long. Kyron gets the interception in the end zone against the Steelers, um, and had gives gives up like two catches in that game. So um, the Bills are prepared um, to lose corners. Although you want they they, I don't think they can replace Taron Johnson. There he's the most important aspect and, and piece of that defense. Um, but Rasul Douglas is right there, and with Rasheed Rice um, kind of really coming on the scene here late in the season, has 100 and but 130, 140 yards last week against the dolphins i think it will be really important to have douglas back and healthy i think douglas could have played last week but i think they wanted to give him that extra week of rest and, and i think that'll uh, be big for them so i think they're going to be you know i, I think terrell bernard's going to play but I, I think he's gonna be a little banged up um maybe a little slow he's got a he's got a squeaky wheel but i think all in all the bills will be fairly healthy here's the most important part they're most healthy on the back end at safety both veteran safeties Poyer and Hyde are are healthy available playing well But they are as healthy as they've been all year on the defensive line. Daquan Jones back from IR. uh, He was also lost in that that week five game in London. Um, You know, Gregory Rousseau is back to 100% after kind of dealing with an ankle injury all year. And um, they've got... You know, Linval Joseph in the middle, and, uh, and Ed Oliver's healthy, and Greg Rousseau's healthy, and Floyd's healthy, and Epinesa's healthy. So their depth and uh, the top of the lineup at defensive line is 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 100%, and I think that'll be a huge thing, uh, a huge recipe for stopping this Chiefs offense for sure.
0: You know, it's pretty easy to just make the comparison, oh, this is the— Brady Manning of our era, which I mean, like there's also Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and now CJ Stroud. Like, I don't know if it's that clean, but they have a personal relationship and they've had some epic battles in terms of Josh Allen and his legacy and, and maybe even just mainstream notoriety. How big of a matchup is him? Is this for him in that ilk? You know, I I've heard the word legacy get thrown around this
3: week and I don't totally disagree. I think this is a, this is a I, I just don't agree that Josh Allen is the player with the most pressure on this week uh, to, to win. Um, mostly because, you know, Lamar Jackson has one playoff win in his career. They are the number one seed if they lose to Houston at home. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think Lamar Jackson's under more pressure right now to win um, than, than Josh Allen is. But Here's what I'll say. Josh Allen's 27 years old. He's not going to be playing at this level, especially as a runner forever. Um, I think that the pressure for him is that he has played pretty incredible football in the playoffs. Um, if he goes out there, throws for 300 yards, has three touchdowns and adds 70 on the ground and another touchdown and the Bills lose. Um, I don't understand why that would be looked, as, looked at as it's Josh Allen not able to get over the hump and not this Bills team. And I think, fair or unfair uh, in professional sports, specifically football, there is no position in sports that takes more heat um, when it's unearned and sometimes gets the most praise, even when it's unearned than the quarterback position. It just is that one position in all of sports. That's always on the spotlight. And Josh Allen, because they have not gotten to a super bowl because they have not won an AFC championship game. And they seem to kind of hit their head every time they play the chiefs in the playoffs. And obviously last year, the Bengals, um, listen, I think, this is the matchup the NFL really wants. These are the two best quarterbacks in the league, and that's no disrespect to Joe Burrow, who has gotten to a Super Bowl and hasn't won, but has gotten to a Super Bowl, has won an AFC Championship. Um, but I think when you're talking about two guys that can do things at a level that you know no one in the NFL has really seen, it's it's Allen and, and Mahomes. So um, I think there is a little bit of that legacy conversation on the line, but I think at the end of the day the bills play a complete game. If they get that performance defensively that they've gotten really for the second half of the entire season, and they get the performance that Josh Allen had last week um, that he's really kind of had in this, this, this run towards the end of the season. Um, I think the bills should be victorious and probably head to Baltimore for an AFC championship, which would be a, a rematch of the divisional round two years ago when the bills went to the AFC uh, championship game and Taryn Johnson uh, had the pick six, the famous pick six to, to put that Ravens team away. So um Legacy's at stake, no doubt, um, but I, if there's anyone up for it, Josh Allen plays big. I mean, he plays his best in, on the biggest stages, um, and that's always what I've really appreciated about Allen.
0: You know, I, I think Allen will have other opportunities, so I don't know necessarily, and to your point, if he's under nearly as much pressure as Lamar Jackson should be, given the things that have changed in Baltimore to, to give him a better fighting chance in the postseason. I, I do know... Though, if things don't go well, there may be some pressure on Sean McDermott. But I think, quite frankly, some interesting questions for Brandon Bean. Given the age of the roster and some of the cap questions uh, that they may have moving forward, what does this window look like you know, moving forward if this team isn't able to get over the hump?
3: It's a good question. Um, I think that they're probably sitting in the best opportunity they've had in this sort of window that they've created for themselves. And since Josh Allen's been a starting quarterback that, and and I think it's a better window than they had last year. I think it's a better window than they had in 2020. Um, The reason being is they don't have to go through Joe Burrow. Um, I mentioned earlier that this chief's offense is sort of limped to the finish line, 21 points per game. Um, this is the weakest group of pass catchers with a declining Travis Kelsey. From the, if you can't beat this Chiefs team now, I think the question will be, can you ever beat them when it, when it matters? You can beat them in the regular season, but you can't beat them when it counts. If this team can't be beat, um, it's going to feel like they'll never be able to be beat. Um, so I think, you know, from the outlook perspective, yeah. I mean, Hyde and Poyer probably are looking at their last leg this year. Um, you know, Hyde's uh, on an expiring contract. Porter's got one more year, but um, they're going to have some some salary cap stuff to to work on next year, some extensions. Um, but offensively, they're going to lose Gabe Davis, um, and they're not going to resign him. He's going to become a free agent. He's probably going to get a, a decent contract. He won't be back, but They're young on offensive line, which I think is really important. Um, Defensive line, I think they've got some decisions to make. But, man, Ed Oliver coming out and having a career year after signing his contract, which kind of looks like a deal for them now, I think is huge. Uh, Greg Rousseau is still young and and really still developing. He had a career year, had a career year in pressures and and, and pass rush win weight. Um, So I think for me, yeah, there's some veterans. um, But I think at the same time that this is a team that's going to have some flexibility. The, The TV deal coming through, the salary cap expected. Um, to take a big jump next year helps the Bills. Um, And they're always going to have the the levers, the, the parachutes in Josh Allen's contract, um, to restructure and, and move some money around, so um, I think Brandon Bean has done a great job adding guys. I think their their previous draft class has been fantastic. I mean Christian Benford's your starting corner. He was a six round pick last year. Um, you know I, they, they're really liking uh, uh, the Terrell Bernard. Had a I, I think had a All Pro caliber season. Uh, you know three four and a half sacks, four interceptions, uh, led the team in tackles, uh, fumble recoveries, forced fumbles, the whole thing. He's in the second year of his contract. He was a third-round pick. Um, Dalton Kincaid is really turning into a a legitimate weapon, has the rookie record for uh, catches by end and and Bill's history. So they've got a really nice mix of veteran uh, veteran pieces and young pieces. They just need to continue drafting and developing the way they have the last two years, and and I think they'll be in a great position moving forward. But there's no doubt to me, Donovan, that this year, this game, these next two games – this is their best opportunity to get to a Super Bowl and it may never be easier than it is this year. That's why I think it's so important to take advantage.
0: The other aspect that I mentioned uh, McDermott and it's funny how quickly things can change. You know, what was swirling about him uh and some unfortunate uh anecdotal stories uh that he used in his past around the last time that Kansas City faced Buffalo and you you get that win at the end and now the team obviously has been on a run since and you know he's called great defense since he's in a much different position you know publicly but do you think at all his tenure there is is somewhat in question based off of you know the playoff results this year
3: i think there is some pressure there's no doubt um but i also think that it's not the end all be all i think you saw the coaching job that he's done after that story came out he's really the team has galvanized the team has rallied around him and i think that's been a really big it's been a big marker for them um so i think for me i don't think it's a you know win or out situation this year but Um, and they just signed an extension too. And I think that's something to keep in mind throughout this whole process is, you know, had he not signed that extension, I might wonder if this is it. Um, But I think for me right now, he's still, it would have to go really wrong for him. And I don't really even see a scenario where if they don't win this year, he's out. Um, I I think he's one of the steadiest coaches in the league, and he's been, and um, you know, I I don't think there's a winner winner you're out kind of mandate right now, but certainly it feels like the window is closing ever so slightly, but with Josh Allen guys, you know like they'll, they'll be this window will never fully firmly shut with Josh Allen at quarterback
0: you know it, it also seems very long ago but it was only the off season where McTermott and Josh Allen were giving like somewhat awkward updates about the state of the relationship with Stefan Diggs and it just seemed to not make any sense from the outside looking in I'm curious in terms of your perspective what it was like covering it at the time but really when you look at um this offense under Joe Brady Diggs hasn't been the same factor you know consistently as he has been in the past his utilization i'm sure he'll see a lot of uh, sneed you know on sunday his utilization you know for this offense to get to where they want to go what, what do you see from him being a focal point on sunday
3: yeah, he needs to be more involved down the field. They really haven't been able to connect on the big play. I think a lot of the conversation would be a moot point if they hit two or three of the ones where he's literally running wide open and Josh Allen slightly overthrows him. Like I think a lot of the conversation sort of goes away. I I know a lot of the offseason stuff and uh, listen, him and Josh Allen are very close. He he is a he is one of the best competitors that I've ever really seen to play of the game. He is deeply competitive he cares about winning all he wants to do is win um and as long as they're winning he really I, I believe it when he says he doesn't care what his stat line looks like if the bills are winning and they've been winning um even though his stats have not been what they were the first half of the season but this team runs through him um defenses play this bill's offense based on where stefan Diggs is lined up and, and how he's being utilized in the game so um he his role moving forward is 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 crucial it's integral to them getting to and winning a Super Bowl, but I think the thing with Joe Brady that he's brought in is a a better running attack, but B um, you're seeing guys like Khalil Shakir, you're seeing guys like Dalton Gidcay and Dawson Knox, and um, and some ancillary weapons step up, and, and I think that's been the most important part from sustainability perspective for this team moving forward is they need other guys to step up, and they're finally getting
0: that. You know, I, I want to talk about the team, but I also want to talk about you know the city, and we, we get. Buffalo News here, certainly in Toronto and various parts of Canada. we can we can see the reports, but it's it's different to be there and to live it. And you know, Buffalo has lived through many uh, you know catastrophic scenarios in, in, over the last couple of years. It seems what is the town like in terms of getting back to some level of normalcy, knowing what the weather events are going to be for the upcoming days? How are things operating? in and around uh, what will be a, a big football game on Sunday?
3: Yeah, I think it's, uh, listen, I, I, it's not quite normal yet. I know a lot of people are still working from home. It's still snowing somehow. Um, <laughs> but listen, when when Sunday, that that, that 6 a.m. alarm goes off on Sunday uh, and you crack your first beer here in Western New York, everything else kind of goes out the window. Um, you know, I think the this, this city's really excited about hosting this game, getting Patrick Mahomes his first road playoff game in his career here in Buffalo. Um, it's it's for me. That's the most in, important thing for this team is just the getting getting on and getting this game going. Um, I think that'll be everything. Sort of goes to the side once the game
0: kicks off. Yeah, well, we're hoping that first beer is a Canadian beer, a nice Labatt or a Molson or something. You know, the other debate that's uh, somewhat been had or at least conversation is well. I mean, should you have an outdoor stadium in this vicinity? (laughs) Where exactly in the town and the city should the stadium be? I mean, that is somewhat of a moot point because there's a stadium on the way. Um, But, you know, locally, has minds changed? Has conversation changed? Has lobbying happened in terms of, you know, what that looks like and the excitement for a potential new building in the future?
2: Yeah,
3: listen, um, a dome wouldn't have, you know, stopped that game from being postponed, you know, because it's it's really more so about the conditions of the roads leading into it, the travel ban that was in place, uh, getting the Steelers in safely, you know, like all of those things were really um, more of the reason the game was canceled, not the field conditions. The field conditions were ended up being fine, you know, but um, at the end of the day, um, I think what ends up happening to me, the stadium they're going to build is going to be covering the stands, which I think is the most important part. But it's Buffalo; it goes. It was always going to be an outdoor stadium um, in Orchard Park, not not downtown. And I think because of that, the open air makes sense to me. Um, would I have loved a dome? Sure, um, but I think it's uh, th- this city loves the the kind of elements that we get to play in every once in a while. And um, the last couple of years, we've just gotten pounded with pretty rare weather events uh, that's dropped you know feet of snow within uh, a day or two. So um, I, that's not really, I think, goes into the plans. But a dome would not have stopped the game from being postponed. And I think that's the maybe the most important point to make about it. But yeah, no, I, I think a lot of people here love the open air stadium.
0: Well, I just hope in the plans uh, is a very heated, warm press box for you uh, moving forward with some nice press box treats. Yes. Yeah. Lastly, before I let you go, really, if I'm being honest, the one thing I do want to talk to you about, like this is this is the penance that I pay. You know, talking about the actual football game, which I love, um, to talk to you about this, Nate, you just recently watched the Connors' wedding episode of Succession. Where have you I been? Did. Where where have you been, Nate? Like, how how are you this late to it? How did you not know what happened? Because like there were literal news articles about what happened, which. Evidently, if you haven't watched it, maybe others haven't. So I'm not going to ruin what happened, although I feel like the entire world knows. But how, how did you stay in a cocoon and not know what happened or how it happened this late? And how did you experience what I think for me it was one of the, if not best episodes of TV in our lifetime?
3: Yeah. Ignorance uh, in this case is a strong, it's a strong food for me. So uh, I was able to stay away from it, but I, I, so it's funny. I tried getting the succession multiple times, started it, didn't, it just did not hit for me. Um, So I finally, I think I was sick, maybe, a couple of weeks ago I started watching it I got HBO Max and I started watching it and then I just got hooked and I watched the entire season in like a day um the first season and then I'm I'm, I'm almost um, to the completion of the of the series um yeah I was just luckily I was able to stay away from spoilers you know but it's the show is called Succession so I did figure at some point somewhere a patriarch would would potentially pass away and, and have to pass on the, the family business to somebody else but um it's the reason I like the show is there really is no um rootable figure. They're all kind of terrible humans and villains. Um and I, I actually have, have liked that about the show. It's like every show is about which person's gonna backstab their family and their kin the best. So um yeah, I'm excited about the, the final season as it closes up here. But um yeah, it's uh it's it's become one of my favorite shows. And I, I go on these things, Donovan, where I like Fall into fall in love with shows and I binge them. Um, so I'm um, I I did that with with my uh, my other favorite show that's on Showtime is Billions, and then I moved from Billions into Succession, and uh, yeah, it's been. Because here's the thing. I don't like waiting week between, uh, weeks, weeks between episodes. So I'd rather wait for a whole series to end and then binge watch each season um, as quickly as possible rather than waiting for every Sunday for these shows to come out. So
0: Fair enough. Most of us wait for a season to end and then binge the season. You waited for the season. Yeah, I go, series I go full series. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you yeah, take yeah. it to yeah. the extreme, which I respect and I, I rate. Listen, I can't uh, really throw stones from a glass house because uh, me and my wife slowly are prodding through – the crown, which we have not finished is partially because um, we only get an hour uh, at night because we have young kids and we just fall asleep on the couch. But uh, I can't wait for you to finish succession. Uh, I actually know how the crown finishes. We all do, but I can't wait for you to finish succession. When you do get there, we should have a further talk on how it ends. Cause I, I would love your take on that. Um, but uh, enjoy the binging. If you have time, Suspect if the Bills make an extended playoff push and you're heading to Las Vegas, you might not have much disposable time. But we really appreciate either way you taking the time for us today. My pleasure, man. Any time for you guys. So that was Nate Geary at Nate Geary Sports is his handle on X. And don't be a jerk and tweet him and tell him how succession ends. Like that is something you should not do what you should do is go and tell him the show that he should watch and binge watch after Succession. And while you're at it, tell me and tell Show as well because we are consumers of content also. We love great, great prestige TV. And when it comes to film, when it comes to television show, no one knows that space better than you. What did you make of the fact that Nate still hasn't finished Succession? Like awards have been handed out already, and he is still figuring out what's going to happen. Happen with you know madsen and the gojo deal
2: yeah i was i was genuinely surprised I, i'm more impressed that he managed to avoid spoilers Impossible. because no, yeah, i have
0: no idea how he did
2: that that's what i mean like succession is probably one of the few like mono culture tv shows that we've gotten in the last like couple of years or whatever and gosh like
0: it was everywhere Wait, like, so, I, should i should i say what happened yeah, people. No, yeah, it's it's not a spoiler anymore. Okay. It well, I mean, evidently it is because if I said it <laughs> while our last guest was still on the air, I would ruin the rest of the season for him. But I
2: think I think it's like a a week is like the moratorium on spoilers for TV episodes. Well, there were newspapers that did not
0: wait a week. No, it's that true. Reported <laughs> that, and I'm going to say it. And if you haven't watched, then thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Please like, favorite, share, subscribe, all that stuff, and hurry up and watch. In three, two, one, there are newspapers that reported that Logan Roy died. I I hope you stopped listening if you didn't know that. I apologize, but they had like obituaries for him. They had <laughs> obituaries, which again, saying it back sounds ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, uh, it is a occupational hazard to not watch a show with the rest of the world. I fully accept that risk. I have. Uh, a wife with a limited attention span. If a show doesn't catch her in the first couple episodes, she has no problem quitting. I'm not like that. I power through. Well, you have I f- to see it through. I have to see it through. Okay. I have to finish it. And so well, what happens is you have... Uh, hanging chads all over my pvr of shows that are half watched and not fully watched and you went to this far in the episode but then my wife fell asleep and then you tried to finish the episode and she's like ah you know what it's been a couple weeks i don't care about that show anymore and so i am doing literal pvr maintenance all the time can i get to the end of this series okay well now it's not on the pvr anymore thank you rogers ignite it's on demand i can still watch it because there's not a lot of pvr space because all these shows in development if you are working in progress that is my consumption scenario i mean it just sounds stressful talking about it (laughs) these things are supposed to alleviate your stress at the end of the day
2: that's really funny i you know it's funny my wife and i we deter we pick one show that we neither of us have seen before or we watched like uh, ages ago something that like, looks super low stakes like the lowest possible stakes TV show and we binge watch that while we eat and so on until like one of us or both of us falls asleep on the couch and like for example we binge watched how much your mother? and Now we're in the process of binge watching The Big Bang Theory, and
0: these are shows that you had already watched, and you're watching them again.
2: I, I, had, I guess I had watched like Big Bang or uh, How Much Your Mother when it came out, like when I was in university. And she, same with her, we, we had never seen it again, so we kind of rewatching it, just like just kind of like have something on, very like low stakes, while we're eating eating food or whatever. I'd never seen The Big Bang Theory, and. I, I'm almost ashamed to say I quite enjoy it, but uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty funny. I, my my viewing experience on television is I, I think quite different from yours. Yeah, it, it, it is quite different. So here's a
0: before we go a uh, television viewing experience question for you that is somewhat adjacent to the conversation we're having, but yet separate. Uh, it is my youngest son Rowan's second birthday. Okay, on Sunday, having family over at the house. That timing of the party is you know, many parents listening to this know, is directly related to the nap <laughs> schedule. Sure. So he gets up at, you know, 2.30. It's a three to six party, ladies and gentlemen, because at six, we're into the dinner, bed, bath routine to get those kids down so that I can have some sort of life at the end of the night and maybe watch a show. So that's the window, three to six. As you well know, there's going to be high stakes, high leverage football going on. Three to six, we're talking about Mahomes Allen. We just literally talked about it. It is the game to watch. If you could pick one game this week, that's the one. And so I have a real-life conundrum. Do I have the game on in the background, in the surround sound? It's got it going on. You know, when I hear, you know, the octaves of Jim Nance's voice change. I quickly find a TV to figure out what's going on. Or maybe it'll be Romo's uh, voice change. And, and so I'm watching the game knowing that it is a real-life scenario that at any moment, any time, one of my children or the various children over at my house to celebrate this birthday may just take their remote and say, you know, it's, it's blippy time. Actually, Gabby's dollhouse. That's what I want. <laughs> Right now, the Wiggles, Miss Rachel, let's go, immediately. Do I do that, which is like not an optimum way to view anything, or do I just say, you know what, shut it down, blinders on, I'm going to be where my feet are, I'm just going to be at the party, and I'm going to PVR the game and watch it late, knowing that I cannot open my phone, got to turn the push alerts off, I got to literally flip the phone, Face down, can't talk to anybody, can't take any phone calls. What is the best approach?
2: Well, first of all, we haven't uh, convened uh, uh, Dad court in quite some time. That's true. Yeah we' we're,
0: play the sound, yeah.
2: All right. Dad Jerry is in session. I do want to say that I, I have actually seen this play out. With my own two eyes, because uh, I have a lot of cousins, Donovan, who are uh, significantly older than me. Some of them are in their, like, mid to late 50s now, and they have kids who are, like, teenagers. So I remember when I was a little younger, and they were a little younger, and these kids were, like, two and three and so on. The the first scenario you uh, you outlined kind of just making it the best of the situation and having the game on with essentially, like, no sound while the party is happening around everyone sure. is essentially what my family has done for, I feel like, a whole generation. So I feel like I can safely say that's probably better. I've also observed you always be on your phone, so I feel like it'd be, I feel like it'd be hard for you <laughs> I feel to like like completely a, turn it off. I feel like that's not a compliment. <laughs> no, I, you know what? That's just part of, the, that's part of our industry. It's part of our, our lives. So I think it, I think it'd be too difficult to stay away. But then again, you know what? You have two young kids and they're going to be all a bunch of other young kids. Maybe you'll have your hands full.
0: Yeah. I'm just going to blame the guests. You know, listen, uh, the, we have people here who want to watch the game. My One, brother-in-law I'm, really being,
2: wants uh, to uh, watch uh, the bills game. My yeah. uncle. Yeah, you <laughs> know what, uh, t- listen, <laughs> I
0: just, I got to be a good host. And so maybe there'll be a, a, a viewing experience for football, you know, in the basement, uh, and uh, a viewing experience of, you know, random child YouTube videos uh, on the main screen. We'll see how we make out. Uh, Wish me luck.
2: Good luck. Uh, I will be at the Bills game on Sunday. So I will, uh, just in case, I will do my best
0: not to text you while I'm there. That's right. The the moral of the story for this episode is no spoilers, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) No matter when you're watching or how you're watching, enjoy the games. Uh, We certainly will be covering what happens in the playoffs as we get closer to the Super Bowl this year in Las Vegas. Thanks for listening.